go to Proverbs chapter 23 and Isaiah 23. Proverbs 23 and Isaiah 23. And lately here, it seems we've been dealing with a lot of things, worry, stress, grumbling, mental things. See, if the devil can get you mentally, he can get you. If God can get your mind and get you on his program, he's got you. Whoever controls the mind controls the person. Amen? Or somebody once said, the man is as his mind is. I want to talk this morning along those lines. Nothing is new, but everything is positive. Because I want to talk about the power, which we all need and want, of a positive mind. Not the power of positive thinking, like the book once said, which is all about a psychological method of being successful in life. I remember a preacher years ago wrote a book on the power of positive thinking. Very successful book. It was a motivational thing, teaching whoever would read it how to develop your mind to be successful in its thinking, to think positive. And he used lots of scriptures. I read the book. He used lots of scriptures inspiring the reader to quote the Bible and to think like that until he began to act like that. Well, you know, there is an element of that which we accept, that God gives us his word to think about. I mean, he does say, like in Philippians 4, think on these things. Well, there's a benefit to us if we do. Isn't that right? That God wouldn't give us something to do that would not benefit us. There is God's reward to those who obey him and do things his way. We haven't always thought right. Most all of us have thought wrong, figured out things wrong, reasoned wrong. And as a result, when we come to the Lord, our minds have to be renewed because the patterns of thought, the way we thought and tried to think, where there was unforgiveness and revenge or hate and other things like that, all of that has to be cleansed and washed out. And God does it with his word. And that's how he renews the mind. Now, when God renews a man or a person's mind, they become what we call positive in their thinking because God doesn't give us negative things to think about. He may warn us about things. What God gives us to think about are positive things. Now, when you connect with God like that and you begin to think on these things, your mind begins to see things in a new way. Your mind begins to be that thing, that, a part of you that God uses to manifest his life and power through you. We begin to be, as we mention a lot, God's word inside minded. We see things happening that are not good or things that are bad or you hear things on the news and somebody says, oh, this is that and that. You find yourself just responding to that by saying, well, that's not necessarily true. God's bigger than that. So you begin to be positive. When you're a negative person, there's not much good that comes from you except grumbling and complaining, uncertainty, doubt, unbelief, fear. When those things control you, it's very difficult for you to receive what we'll say today because you're still where you used to be in your thinking. 
but a positive mind, and I want to talk about the power of a positive mind, not just the mind, but the power of it, because there is something here that we all need. All of us do. We need to experience that which God supplies for us to live on his terms successfully, to be as he wants us to be. Now, that's power. When you're not controlled by circumstances in your life, there's a greater power in you that controls. We ought to find it and pursue that. Now, in Proverbs 23, I give you that long to find it. Verse 7, and you know this one by heart, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The word heart is the word for soul, a breathing creature. That's what soul is. It's a you or a me, a living soul. And as a man thinketh within himself, he is a living soul. As a man thinks, this is a law, a rule of life, or a principle. As you think, so you are. Now, you can call that whatever you want to if you don't agree with that, but it's still true. As you think, you are. The devil gives you things to think about. The news media gives you things to think about. Sadly, the educational system today is giving our kids things to think about that are not good things. They're negative things, doubt things, uncertain things, questioning things. Till man is left with the uncertainty of anything. You know, if the founding fathers were all of this kind and that kind of a person, then they're no different than us. And so what's the big deal about the Constitution? People talk like that in schools. Teachers, educators. Next thing you know, you start thinking negative. So that the things that were once important and grounded human beings as far as their country is concerned no longer affect people because they've been talked out of it. They become negative in their thinking. Well, that probably won't work. Well, who knows? And you sit around in the gossip center and everything's negative. And your life is very dismal. You can't find much peace in God. You can't find much help and hope because there's little power that God offers in your life because it's all negative. But the Bible says as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's a mental word, your heart, your mind, your soul, because it's where you think, how you figure things out, how you put things together, whether or not you're focused or unfocused. This is where you find fear. A lot of people are scared. It's a scary age, they say. Was there ever one that wasn't? It's a fearful age. Or there's a lot of anger today. Angry people. Doubt. Who believes what they're taught anymore? We're living like they did in the Old Testament. Every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. And they're passing laws to permit it. Who has the right to tell me anything and so forth? But a negative mind that's formed by these things, again, is full of I can't. I don't see how. And then you begin to talk about your fear. Well, this scares me. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm frightened because... There's no power in your life to cope. And listen, folks, if there's one people that exists on this earth who should be able to cope with whatever this earth throws at them, it's us. We have a book that's 8,000 promises long. 
There's not a need in anybody's life in this room that's not promised. There are things that hinder that promise from coming forth, but there's not a promise made in this book that God will not fulfill and that God has not promised us. Look in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Notice in verse 3, he said, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. The one translation said, whose mind is steadfast in thee. Now, not everybody is. You can tell a lot of people that are in difficult circumstances that, well, God said, and it doesn't mean much because the mind is not stayed on God. It visits God a couple of times a week, but it's not fixed. It's not like the psalmist said, my heart is fixed, O God. But it's a religious heart that visits a couple of times a week, expecting to hear something from the preacher something that they can enjoy and go home with. But it's not like you live with your heart fixed on God. Now, that's what he's talking about here. See, peace doesn't just come. It comes by a process. God gives it, but there's a way it comes. And he said it comes because of your mind being stayed or fixed or steadfast on the Lord. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. In fact, the Hebrew says it more emphatic. The Hebrew says, thou shalt keep him in peace, peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou shalt keep him shalom, shalom. It's twice for emphasis. The translators called it perfect peace because peace, repeated again, peace emphasized like that. That emphatic is a peace that's perfect. I mean, that's the ultimate peace. And listen to what your Bible says. God will keep you. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the world is doing or trying to do, God will keep you in peace, peace, perfect peace on this one condition. When your mind, this Organ of mental perception, your mind, the thing the devil is trying all with all of his efforts to get. Your mind is stayed on him. And when your mind is stayed on the Lord, again, I'm not talking about visiting a couple of times a week, seeing if I can find my Bible, where's that at in the Bible. I'm talking about fixed, stayed on thee. Stayed on thee, he said, means you're going to be sure. The word stayed means to be sure and confident. Let me tell you a couple places in the Bible where this word is used. In Psalm 112, you don't have to turn over there, but Psalm 112, it says, Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. That's the first verse. Blessed is a man who fears, reverences, yields to, stands in awe, and honors God. Blessed is that man. And in verse 8, that Psalm goes on to say his heart, that man's heart is established. Now, the word established is the same as our word stayed on in Isaiah 26, 3. If a man fears the Lord, now this again goes to the heart. Fearing God is not a mental exercise, it's a heart exercise. You can forget with your mind, but your heart will remember. 
When your heart is fixed on the Lord and he begins to reveal himself, as we say so much, you begin to see who he is and who it is that's blessing you and requiring of you. You begin to have a sense of awe and reverence. You should. You begin to fear the Lord. And when you do, the Bible says this is what happens in verse 8. He mentions a lot of things in Psalm 112, but in verse 8 he says, His heart is established, he shall not be afraid. Look at all the things there are out there to fear. But the Bible says if a man's heart is fixed, he shall not be afraid. One of the greatest psalms in the Bible was Psalms 3. Lord, are they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they who say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. God isn't going to do anything for him. They say that. But the next verse, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, the glory and the lifter of my head. Remember that? And then it says it's because of that attitude towards God. That relationship with God, a heart that embraces God like that. He said, I lay me down and slept like Jesus in the hinder part of the ship during a storm. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. The word sustained is the word stayed on. It's the same word as established in Psalm 112. He said, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is established on thee. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is sustained by what you say. A man's life and hope, a Christian's life, a Christian's hope, his joy and peace is totally a matter of whether or not God said this or that. And if God says it, he said, that's what I'll do. And God causes him to be at peace. He is sustained by that. This is alien to the world. This is strange talk to most people in the world. Maybe a lot of people in the church. I don't know. But this is how we live. One of the sad things is, and I know this from experience, and it doesn't apply to everybody, of course. There's always exceptions. But I have found in my lifetime, in the many places that I've gone in my life that not everybody wants to hear the word. They might want to hear you tell a story and they might want to laugh at some of the funny things that you say, but they really are not interested in gaining a knowledge of God that they're willing to live by. The book of Romans says like this, one of the reasons for great judgment is because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Well, tell me what the Lord said, but you know, if it's not what I really wanted to hear, I'm most more than likely to forget it because again, the devil is yapping on the other side telling me that won't work. You're not ready for that. Well, that's over your head. Well, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. Well, who would ever do that? Well, that's dumb. And when I start thinking like that, what happens? Whatever God said no longer has any influence in my life. How many of you believe that we should give the more earnest heed to things we hear, that we have heard from God, lest at any time these things slip? Can they slip? They sure can. Could a man have heard the word and then forget it? He sure can. 
Could you sit in church most of your life and, and hurt enough to set you free and never get free? You sure could. This is personal. To retain God in your knowledge is effort. You've got to be willing to do that. Everything in the world is against you. A lot of your habits are against you. From the TV to some of that trash that people read, it's all against you. It affects you. But God has told us that he said, if they don't like to retain God in their knowledge, they can only be judged. Again, in Hebrews 2, we said, you've got to give the more earnest heed to the things that you've heard, lest at any time these things slip. Because the warning of it all is, whether we heed it or not, whether we put much emphasis on this or not, even if we say, ah, we've heard that before. The warning is that he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Knowledge is offered, then how could they, how could they not have it? They didn't want it. They didn't want it. Oh, they like to hear it because we're this Sunday morning. My daily life, I can't do that in my daily life. I mean, my, I can't live like that my job. So he said this in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. He said, because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you. I ask you this morning, is it fair for God to say that? Is it fair if God has rescued you from a certain death, an eternal death? Is it fair for him who delivered you by grace? You didn't deserve it brought you to him and made you a new creature? Is it fair for God now to demand that you give all of you to him? It is fair. It's fair. He has a right to me. We were plunging over that cliff going into that terrible place after this life is over. There is another life. This is the short one. This is the brief one we're in now. The long one is coming. And so much uncertainty about it and so much indifference towards it. And yet one day we realized that's where we were going and it frightened us. And in the midst of all of that, God saved us. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. And I guess plant my feet on the promised land or the holy land or wherever it was and gave grace to me and saved my life. Now, does he not have the right with a doomed soul who is just all I could do was respond? Does he not then have the right to all of me? Am I not supposed to offer myself without spot unto God? If God saves you, does he have a right to you? Say amen. All right. Why does he have a right to you? Because he brought you out of darkness. Who am I to say no to God? Or when he tells me something to say back to him, I don't know about all that. Who am I to say that? When he tells me some specific things that are kind of hard, who am I to tell him, well, I don't know if I can, I don't, I don't think I'm ready for that. It's over my head. I don't have a right to say that. 
I have a privilege to respond to that, wrestle with that, and deal with that, and become that just to please the one who saved me. That's my life. And this life that is halting and sometimes subdued and backs off, God is saying, it's all because of the way you think. I don't mean to holler that much, but I will holler. It's the way we think. It's the way we're figuring things, reasoning, and, and putting things together in our mind that our lives are slow and subdued. God is speaking clearly to you and to me, speaking clearly, making it plain and simple. I pray that it is. Just make it plain, make it simple, and make it what God is saying. And then he gives us 24 hours a day in a free country, a free country, to live what he said, to wrestle with these things, to get this in my mind, to get it straightened out. To quit thinking, oh, I can't, I'm not ready, I don't know about that, wow, they're all about it. To quit thinking like that. To start thinking on these things. If God said it's so, it is so. If God said I can, I can. If God said I should, I should. If God said don't do it, I don't do it. It's just as simple as that. The mind becomes established. It becomes fixed. It becomes responsive to God. As the Bible said, God is in all your thoughts. When I wake up in the morning and I set my feet at rest, I am blessed. Boom, 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 boom. I am blessed. You know why you're blessed? Let me tell you. Because your mind has learned to see things God's way. And until you do, you're going to be lacking in the power and the might because God puts a lot of emphasis on the mind. How do you get transformed in this life? How do you change into the kind of person? Uh, while you're alive, how do you become the kind of person you should be after you were born again? By the renewing of your mind. It begins with you willingly giving yourself upon the altar that God gives. Lay your life before God. I am yours. And then you begin to make application of his word to your life, the mind becomes renewed and this new creature begins to emerge. You can be born again and not really many people know it yet, but the longer you live with Christ, if you're taught, if you're faithful, it'll be seen. It'll be seen. People will know that. Or how about this one? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Is that even possible? How could I, a mortal, have the mind that he had? Well, is he in you? Is Christ in you? If he is, the Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. If he is, he's with his mind in you. The Bible reveals the way he thought, the way he coped, the way he dealt with things, again, from the boat, to the multitudes, a few fishes and some loaves to feed several thousands of people. They didn't fluster him. Have you know that Jesus in his mind was calm about that? He didn't say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't, I don't know. He didn't do that. 
He said, do we have anything at all to eat? We got a sack lunch here with a few fish, you know, bring it here. And you can see the guys bringing it here with their negative mind. Well, that won't work. How can we do that? Well, there ain't enough food in there to eat. I could eat all that. Jesus said, bring it here. He blessed it. Now I said, pass it out. Every time he'd hand him a piece, there was still a piece there. He'd give him another piece, there's still a piece here. He'd fill that bowl up, the bowl was still here. He'd break this loaf and put it over there, the loaf was still here. He kept breaking the loaf and breaking loaves and giving out fish, and his fish and loaves stayed where they were. He just kept going until finally they all, they all ate and had 12 baskets full left over. 12. You think he was calm? Do you think, listen to me, all of you, do you think that had anything to do with his power? When he was in the back of that ship in Mark chapter 4, and it was turbulent sea, and they woke him up, and he was rocking around. You know, you've driven in certain kinds of automobiles. You know what I'm talking about, you know. And he woke him up. And he didn't go, ah, why didn't you tell me? He just woke up and he said, peace, be still. You think he had a quiet mind? Do you think all that time Jesus spent on those hillsides talking to God had any effect upon the way he lived? Do you think he always was at peace with God? The only time in Scripture when you see Jesus in his flesh more than the other way was in the garden. Pray with me. Can't you stay awake a little while? Pray with me and, oh, God, take this cup from me. In those times, the Greek words describing him then were pretty, uh, pretty interesting. But when he came out of the garden, he wasn't worried about going anywhere. He, there was no worry in his life. There was no fear in his life. He knew what was about to happen. He didn't look forward to it. I mean, he didn't look forward to going on the cross and dying the way he did before the whole world and all the comments that were going to be made about him that God would have to judge. He didn't look forward to that. But it was necessary for me and you to sit in this room this morning. His mind, the mind that Christ had was not a mind that was tore up. It was never, never, ever a mind that fell apart. He never sat on a Galilean hillside with his crowd and said, boys, I don't know what we're going to do now. We're, this is a, oh boy. Y'all have any suggestions? He never was there. He was never tore up. The mind of Christ. Is it possible for us in this world to live like that? Is it? Is it possible? like in the book of Revelation, and they loved not their lives to the death. Is that possible? Is it? Or one of the churches, he said, you just endure this for a few days, they will kill you, and then I'll give you a crown. Is that possible to face that with joy and peace? The only power you're going to have here is the power of the promise. You'll be with him in heaven. He will do this. He'll do that. Why, if you've got that, what are you, uh, whom should I fear? What should I be afraid? If God be for me, who can be against me? So these are the kind of things that God speaks about in the mind, about your mind. So what is the power? How do we explain the power 
of having a mind that is governed by, because of God. Biblical thoughts, scriptural things, God leading us kind of mind. What's the power of it? Well, the first obvious power of this kind of a positive mind is faith. Faith comes by hearing. You know all of this. Well, you know this. Faith. Faith is what makes you faithful. And if you said faithful, you'd probably be saying it right. If a man trusts God, it's because he knows this. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. But if he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Now, you've got that in your Bible, Numbers 23, verse 19. If God said it, he'll do it. I have no other basis for faith. That's it. Faith comes how? Hearing by the word of God. If God said it, did he say it? Where did he say it? Well, well, then you don't know if he said it. Well, I heard the preacher said, where is it? Open your, your Bible and find it. Find what? What you believing for? Well, I just assume it was in here. It don't work like that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. I know in whom and I know what I have believed. I try to be careful in what I hear and how I hear it because the product of a keen mind, a mind that really wants to walk with the Lord is faith. And faith will be seen in the fact that your response to God is positive. You do what he said. You're a doer of the word and not a hearer only. That's faithfulness. If you translate the word faith as faithful, you'd probably get more of the meaning that God had when he talked about faith. When he wants us to be faithful. There's only one thing he can talk about when he says be faithful, be faithful to what he said. He didn't say go out and think of some wonderful thing to do and then be faithful to it. He said, no, you find out from me what it is I want you to do and then you do it. That's what faithfulness is. That's the way it works. That's the way God wants us to be to be faithful people. That's not asking too much, is it? Is God asking us too much? No. He said, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Or get in James 1, be doers of the word, and not just hearers only. Now, when you get tired of listening to it, when you get tired of thinking about it, you begin to set it aside. You begin to be weary, as the Bible says. You begin to be weary in well-doing, which is faithfulness. You begin to set it aside. You begin to loosen up a little bit, ease up a little bit, which is the ploy of the devil to distract you from what you, your original intentions and what the Bible said and, and how God said it and the zeal you had in getting a hold of it. God help us 20 years later to look back at, 
and can't hardly remember what we did to get started or what we believed it got us here. I think a lot of preachers get tired and weary. I do. It's just a job for most people. It's just a job. They're paid to do it. Just a performance. You do it. And whether or not it was what needed to be said or something that was inspired of God, it doesn't really matter to most people. It's just uh, they pay me well here. They give me a nice place to live, and uh, I give them something to think about, and that's it. How many of you know we're going nowhere like that? It's got to be something from God. It's got to be something that engages our minds. It's got to be something that captures our affections. It has to be. Otherwise, it'll go in one ear and right out the other. And faith will not be the product of what you've heard. Listen to this. God said, if you have faith, in Matthew 17, is a grain of mustard seed. That's not very big, is it? If you have that, you can move mountains. He didn't say you can move mountains because you can quote that. He didn't say you can move mountains because you know that. You can move mountains if you believe that. It's one thing for me to know something and quote something and quote the Bible. It's something else to believe it. But he said, if you can, that's what will happen. So the first real product that comes with power, power to move mountains, power to save lives, power to heal, power to deliver, nothing is impossible if thou canst believe, is faith. Second power, we mentioned it a while ago, is peace. Is there power in peace? How about peace that passes understanding? Peace you can't even explain. An inward resolve that is so settled that it is secured that what God has said is absolutely all I needed to hear. Peace. The word means freedom from mental agitation. It's mental calmness. When your heart is right with God, you're going through some kind of a battle or circumstance and you are sure that God is in control and that he's going to take care of this. You are ruled. Your life at that point is ruled by peace. It becomes a ruler of your life. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because of that wonderful knowledge that peace that comes with peace, that he's there with you, no matter what. And what a wonderful testimony to believe in peace is when you really know in your heart something is so, and you're really convinced about something, to have it verified by peace. How can you be so sure? I've had people ask me, how can you be so sure about this or about that? I just know in my heart, I know in my heart, I have no opposition to what I know. It's like there are no more challenges. I have peace. And at this point, it is so easy to cast all my care over on the Lord and take no thought. To walk in peace in this life is not something that very many Christians seem to do, but we all can because it's been given to us to walk this, this way.
Would you turn to Philippians 4 and verse 6 and 7? Let's take a moment with this. Be careful for nothing. Scripture say that? The word careful, the same word used in the Sermon on the Mount five times, take no thought. Remember that? Jesus said, don't worry. Don't take thought. Don't worry. Don't fret yourself. Don't get stressed out because of your life, about clothes, arraignment, about food, about simply about security, about how am I, what am I, how about me? He said, don't even worry about it. The Lord, that's what he said. He said, take no thought. He said, again in Philippians 4, he said, be careful for nothing. And verse 7 says, and. And what? The peace of God shall what? Guard your hearts and minds. That's what a jailer does at the jail. He guards the prisoners. His life depends on them being guarded. He's intense. His best effort is in this. That's what God said peace will do to you. God will cause his heavenly peace, which he promised in John 14, to give to us. My peace I give to you, didn't he? My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but as I give. A peace that never goes away. It's without understanding by this world. I give you my peace, my serenity, my calmness. That goes with the mind of Christ. That goes with the mind that is positively fixed on God. So don't worry about anything. 1 Peter 5, cast all your care, your worry, and your anxiety. It's a mental word, marimnail. It means to cast all of your mental problems over on the Lord because he cares for you. Does he really care for you? Of course he does. If he cares for me, why should I take care? People say it to me all the time, well, take care. I ain't going to do it. <laughs> I don't maybe say it that way to them, but I think, no, I know what you mean. You mean to be careful in life, but as far as taking care of what I've learned, I ain't going to do that. Sometimes the things that you have to deal with are, are pretty serious and pretty involved, but it doesn't change the Bible. It doesn't change Scripture. It doesn't change God. There's nothing about me or my circumstances that will ever change God. God changes not. And what he has established, his word is forever settled in heaven, isn't it? And he watches over that word to perform it. As he sent it out, he said, it's exactly what it'll do. Oh, Lord, let me get that in my heart about anything in my life. Just let me get that settled and deep in my heart so that I can truly live a testimony of worrying about nothing. Taking no thought. Now, taking no thought doesn't mean I can live as I want to and take no thought. Remember, we go back to the mind that stayed on God. 
Doesn't visit God. Doesn't just memorize God's word. But it's fixed. This is a Christian life who is walking with the Lord. Martha, Martha. Remember Jesus said this in Luke 10, the last few verses. Martha, Martha said, thou art careful and troubled. Careful is our word that we're talking about. Worry. You are so concerned about so many little details. Most of it is personal about how people are going to think about you, and you're so concerned about it. And you're, you're careful, Martha, and you're troubled. And the word trouble means to be in uproar, to be disturbed. That's not the way we live. Jesus would have said it was all right. Martha, Martha, thou art favored of God. I commend thee for your interest and intensity on having a good supper for us to eat. Now go back to work. He rebuked her, didn't he? When Peter began to sink in the sea, did he get praised or rebuked? He got rebuked for it. Let me tell you all something. I, we don't say it. Maybe we say it and maybe it goes over our head or maybe we're not getting it the way we should. But, but God holds us to a pretty fine line. He doesn't make anything really easy for us. Even Peter said it's with difficulty that the righteous man is saved. This is not an easy life to live. There's so much that's involved. The more I go to hear, the more I hear. And my program expands. Man, the first time I came to the Lord, I didn't know anything. And I was so happy. Then I started listening all the time, taking notes, and then, whoo, huh. Oh. And then it got bigger. And then 40, 50 years later, you say, whoo, but watch out. To whom much is given, much is required. You're not allowed to forget any of it. Well, that was for then. It's for now, too. It's for now, too. Praise God. The same thing we word heard then, we hear now. Now, the world's often telling us about peace. If you want peace of mind, here comes a commercial. Wouldn't you like to have peace of mind? Well, who wouldn't? Most people's minds are anything but peaceful. That's why we argue, fight, fuss, and carry on because of our mind, our, the mental state of our minds. Angry, confused, it's our minds. And then here comes the world said, wouldn't you like to have peace of mind? Yeah. All you need is to invest. And you get this and you have Retirement money for the rest of your life. The union tells us, folks, if you all will just do this and do this, you're going to get it. This, you're going to have your plate full the rest of your life. They didn't count on everybody going broke and not having enough money to do that with. People think security is in having security. Security is in knowing Christ. All these investments and all these Alarm systems on housing, wouldn't you like to have peace of mind at night? Oh, boy, you got a crowd of happy people sitting in a station somewhere waiting on your phone call? Yeah. Wouldn't you like to have peace of mind? A new 357 Magnum with 158-grain bullet at 1,100 feet per second by your door with a compensator on the end of it so it doesn't recall. You can get a second shot off faster that way. Peace of mind. Somebody said, don't worry about the dog, worry about the gun. Peace of mind? What if your gun jams? 
What if in the midst of your triumphant night, you fumble around, you drop the thing, it goes off, you shoot yourself? Then what are you going to do? It's not so secure then, is it? Security is in Christ. Security is in, yeah, but what are you going to do if a booger man comes in your house and he's wild-eyed and bushy-tailed and he's, you know, what are you going to say, the blood of Jesus? Huh, you better do something. You mean to tell me you've been sitting here all them years making fun of the blood of Jesus? Have you had in the back of your mind all your life, that ain't nothing I'm going to do when trouble comes? Well, you better get your two guns. Strap one on your pajamas before you go to bed <laughs> in case you can't find that other one. You think you're going to be secure? Peace of mind? Peace of mind in your retirement policy? Peace of mind in your security camera? Peace of mind in that newest drug that's been developed? Folks, peace of mind for us comes from believing what Jesus has said. The God of all peace will grant you peace in believing, Romans 15 says. He gives it to you. Let me give you a third thing. The power is unity. Let me tell you how much power there is in unity. One can put a 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000. If you can just get them together. On the day of Pentecost, they all came together in one accord. They all came together in one accord. They were all thinking right and doing right, and the Spirit of God visited them. There had never been a time in the history of Shelbyville Christian Assembly that we were ever as a group in one accord. I've been here as long as you have, and I've never seen it happen yet. I've seen some moments in which we came together. Our nation came together when they tried to destroy New York City. It didn't last long because people by nature drift away. They come together in a time of difficulty and then they drift away. Not everybody, but some do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul writes that you all speak the same things. Wouldn't that be wonderful here? That there be no divisions among you. Wouldn't that be wonderful? that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we were all in total agreement? What if the same one single word that we've heard for most all of our lives, what if we all believed it together? What if we all believed the same way, the same things? I know some are wrestling, some are already there, some are not there, but I know that. But what if we all came to the same conclusion that God is altogether right, his word is altogether reliable, and if we trust him, he'll deliver us? All of us. Well, what kind of power would we have then? No wonder in our previous verse a while ago, he talks about peace. And the peace of God shall keep your minds. Right before he said that, he said, but bring all your prayers to God. Pray to God. Petition God for all your needs. I mean, bring your needs to God, and I'm not going to worry about it. Because God said he'd take care of it. Will he really? Will he really take care of it? He said he would. Will he? Yes, he would. But notice that you all speak the same things. That you come to the same conclusion. 
that we begin to, as a unit, as a group, Jesus prayed in John 17 that they all may be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, and we are one. He said that we would be like that. Is that possible? If God does the same work in every one of us, are we going to come to the same place? We're going to think alike. We're going to believe alike. We're going to hold to the same desires about spiritual matters. Listen to what the Williams New Testament said about 1 Corinthians 1.10. He said about no divisions. He said, but rather a perfect union through your having one mind and one judgment. We are together. We believe alike. We are not distracted by personal anything, but we have one mind, one heart, and one judgment. A fourth thing, the power of a grateful mind. The attitude of gratitude, just being thankful. Isn't that what Philippians 4 said? And be ye thankful. If there be any of this or be any of that, if there be any of this or this or this or this, he said, think on these things and the peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ, Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, And be ye thankful. That's in Colossians 3. Be ye thankful. Be thankful. Oh, I'm not going, this my situation. I'm not talking about thankful for your problem or the pain or anything. I'm saying being thankful for his promises. And that you have an opportunity to trust God. How do you know you're a warrior or an overcomer if you don't have to overcome something? How do you know? You don't know. How do you know you're a nice person unless you're put to the test? Somebody's ugly to you. How do you know you're a forgiving person until somebody really does you wrong? How do you know you're a forgiving person? It takes a situation to prove and demonstrate that you're willing to do what God said and that you really like that. It's a test. Count it all joy knowing that these things have a purpose. No, oh, no, not again. Don't do that. Be thankful. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, this talks about being built up, being established in the faith, and abounding therein with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks. Can you give God thanks for your opportunity today to trust him? Could anybody in this room say, I want to thank God for the opportunity to trust him today. What I'm going through, what I'm feeling, or what's here or there has a loud voice. And it lets me know it's there and it's wanting me. But I want to thank God that he already has me and that his way is greater than the devil's way. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the chance to demonstrate that I want to trust you. This is how we prove ourselves, isn't it? It's how we prove ourselves. How else could we be proved? Did Jesus have a right to say to Peter, oh, you have little faith? Why would he say that? Did he walk up to Peter while he was mending his nets and say, oh, you have little faith, get up? No, he had no reason to. 
Well, he told him to come and he began, he came and then he began to sink. Jesus said, why'd you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. He didn't intend for him to doubt. Doubt wasn't in the program. Peter just chose to doubt because doubt is a choice. Like faith is a choice. Doubt also is a choice. Your anger, your frustration, it's a choice. All these things are choices. They're usually made because you entertain in the mind. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, ah! And then you say something and that's your choice. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no harmony in all of that. There's no thanksgiving in all of that. But when you come to the place, even on those long days, maybe even the shadow is cast in, in the valley. When you can approach that and you say, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. I want to thank you for your mercy. I want to thank you for all these good years you've blessed me and showed me your way. And I want to thank you for the opportunity of living with you and by you and for you and of one day being there where you are. Isn't that better than screaming and yelling? That's better than dialing uh, 411. 411's a church line. Ah, 411. Success. Power. Power is the ability to overcome resistance. Everything that wants to dethrone you, God has given you the ability to overcome it. That's power. But it's going to start. After God renews the heart, the mind is the next operation. The renewing of the mind, having the mind of Christ, letting this mind be in you. Think on these things. That's your life, and that's going to determine how you fare tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. It's your choice. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks this morning for blessing us and for keeping us. We ask you to hold us to your word, that by your power you would still continue to show us a deeper and a more right way to live. Grant us, Lord, to have what we spoke of today, a positive relationship with you, enjoying the benefits of it, having the power by that to overcome. Grant that, O oh God, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.